Please turn in your pew Bible with me to Psalm 2 to begin. It's page 543 in the pew Bible. We'll read the whole of Psalm 2, and after that we'll read from Isaiah 53. But beginning with Psalm 2. It's a psalm of inauguration, and we'll be looking at that a little bit tonight. Pointing forward to Christ. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And Isaiah 53 on page 740, this king is also the Messiah and our Savior. We'll read from verse 7, from Isaiah 53, page 740. This is the prophecy concerning Jesus and his death for us hundreds of years before it happened. Verse 7, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. And was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to be back with all of you here tonight. And we've pray, been praying for Ross, too, that he will know the Lord's blessing where he's serving. It's been a, a privilege for my wife and I just to begin to get to know Ross and Deborah. What a lovely 
uh, pastor couple you have here. And uh, I just wanted to share a couple of things uh, before we, we dive into God's word. One is I want to bring you greetings from Wade Thompson. Uh, if you've been here a while, you'll remember he, he was an interim pastor here for a couple of years. And he's serving a church in Durham right now. They're having, they've had some baptisms this morning. And they're really thrilled because um, they've just been uh, praying for God to bring some fresh life there. And, and it's a real day of celebration for them. And so he's, he just sends his love and says he misses you. Also, um, Jim said, I can share with you just something kind of family news. We're, we're, we're a family in all, all manner of transition. I'm second of, of three years of studies done right now. We're moving up to uh, Sky for three months of summer work in a church there. But right now, we, we've just given our daughter permission to go on a missions trip to Hong Kong. And she's 14. She's had a call to missions since she was like one, I don't know. And we've, we've kind of struggled with that. And, and just the Lord opened our hearts up to say yes. She's going with Firestarters and Paisley. And uh, you might have met Acacia. She's been at the youth group here and stuff. Anyway, she's doing a little, little fundraiser concert next Friday, the 26th, over at the, the Collar Crux Parish Church Hall, which we live next door to. So if that's something you're interested in, in being part of and uh, enjoying the music and uh, being part of her team, you're welcome to come along uh, next Friday at uh, 7 p.m., Friday the 26th. Yeah, Friday the 26th of, of May. Not, if you come this Friday, come to our house, we'll give you a coffee. But come the next Friday, and there'll be a concert. So that's it. Now, it, this, this has been a, a week and a weekend of ransomware attacks. Did anybody have a hospital appointment postponed? Yeah. yeah. And, and threats of nursing strikes and, and elections happening and pending. And one of the things we hope here in, in Britain and, and around the world, we hope that our leaders will somehow find a way to set these things right, don't we? And especially that, that they will care for those most vulnerable. And, and today you might have turned the news on and seen the in, installation of the new president in France. And uh, just a few weeks ago, I guess it would have been a couple months ago, I, I was talking to some youth just after Trump had been uh, made president, and I asked him, what, what kind of president do you think he's going to be? And, you know, there, there was a lot of skepticism in the room, and interestingly, I mean, he's, he's certainly, if nothing else, he's generated a lot of news. So, he's an interesting president, but wouldn't it be interesting, it wouldn't it be incredible, actually, to have a political leader who we could, who we could say we genuinely believe is selfless, who, who would use their influence, their power, their wealth to benefit others solely, uh, whose goal would be to help those most in need, even if, if they were the least deserving. And where do we have a leader like that? Well, as Christians, we know we have a leader like that in Jesus. And today, I'd like to, to look with you at God's Word and talk about what kind of king Jesus is, what kind of leader Jesus is. He's a king of cosmic honor and majesty and glory on the one hand and of embarrassing condescension and mercy and love. And uh, we'll read in a moment a, a story from uh, Mark, uh, Matthew's Gospel. 
in your pew Bibles, page 967, Matthew chapter 3. And it's the story of Jesus' baptism. And it's one that I've always found kind of mysterious. There's this picture there of of the Trinity. We we know there is only one God. But in the New Testament, he's revealed as existing in three persons. And we see that displayed in this story where Jesus is is here. and, And we see the Spirit coming down on him. And the Father speaking. So there's this Trinitarian picture. Uh, But there's something more going on. And we're going to explore tonight, why is Jesus being baptized? Uh, I think it's kind of strange. I I wonder what you think. Why is this in all four of the Gospels? It must be very important. How does this relate to me personally? That's what I want to be looking at with you tonight. We'll just read a few verses from Matthew's Gospel. uh, Chapter 3 page 967. So John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, has been preaching, preparing the way for the coming of the long-awaited Messiah. And uh, people are being baptized, preparing their hearts for his coming. Then Jesus appears here on the scene. Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. That last verse is a key to the story. We'll be spending a, a lot of time on that. This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. In Matthew, one of the key themes that Matthew wants us to get is that Jesus is king. For the Jewish readers, this was all important. They were waiting for somebody to come take the throne of David and to rule not only over Israel, but over the nations, including Scotland and Canada. And that is what Jesus came to do. Matthew sets out to show that. And this passage is all about the inauguration of Jesus as king. And the big idea here is that Jesus is a king who came to take our place so that we could join him in his place. Jesus is a king who came to take your place as a sinner so you could join him in his place as a son of the Father, as a daughter of the Father. Now traditionally, in this day and and time of Jesus, kings were high and mighty. And the Jews knew all about that. They had had uh, a whole series of kings over the last number of of centuries. The the Greeks had ruled them uh, in in recent centuries, and then some some Jews kicked them out, but they were were just as bad as the Greeks, the the, the Maccabees and their family. And then you had uh, the Romans who were currently oppressing the Jews horribly. And they, they knew that kings had their place, and you had your place, and you better understand that. And they knew the reason they were experiencing this was because they had broken covenant with God. They had sinned. God had made a promise with his 
special people Israel, that if they would obey and trust him, he would bless them. But if they didn't, that they would live under his curse and, and they, they would be banished and they would be decimated. And they had been banished. And just a, a few of them had trickled back to the promised land, but they continued to face the consequences of the sin of their nation. And they longed for God's forgiveness to impact the, their nation as a whole and for him to, to come personally and to send his king that he'd promised through his prophets. And Matthew's writing to say to them, your king has come, your God has come, they are one and the same, it is Jesus. And what kind of king will Jesus be? We see it in the baptism, it's a preview form of how Jesus would take your place on the cross, how much he loves you, and as you see the father's love for his son, it's a picture of the family relationship Jesus has brought you into. And today, if, if you're not a Christian, I hope you'll see why Jesus is somebody that you would want to trust, that you'd want to follow. And if you are a Christian, I hope that you're encouraged. I hope that God gives you a fresh revelation of his love for you. I want to look at this in, in four parts. First of all, that this is how Jesus becomes king. Now, when we think about taking an office like that, today in France, they installed a new president. And there was pomp, there was a motorcade, there were crowds, a speech. It was full of ceremony. This huge event, because their nation is, is recognizing a new leader. Now, this, in Matthew 3, inauguration, it is that, what we saw in France, only it's cosmically, universally, eternally more significant. Now, it's kind of strange because this happens in a wilderness with no great figures uh, around, apparently. There's, no dignitaries have shown up from what we can see. Uh, nothing here to say that there's a king being installed. Well, how do we know that? Because there's some verbal cues in the text, Matthew 3.17 especially, uh, where, where the voice comes from heaven and says, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. These are verbal cues. I'll show you what I mean in a minute, but we all know how certain words will, will issue verbal cues. Just to give you an example, Friday evening, uh, my son and I went to the seminary uh, graduation and awards night. So the third year students were graduating and all other sort of things were happening there. And one of my friends, Nick, has been uh, elected to be the, the third year president. So he got up and gave a speech, and it's a time to say something funny. So it was, it was brilliant, actually. It, I, it should have been recorded. It would, it would have gone viral on YouTube if it, if it makes it. But he, he gets up, and he starts talking about how he's going to make ETS great again. And how the first thing he's going to do is uh, install a baptismal font in the Chalmers Hall, and the Baptists are going to pay for it. And everybody, as he goes on with all these, these verbal cues, you know who he was making a parody of, right? Donald Trump? And, and he just went on and on about all these kind of jokes that were lines that we heard from Trump, only he gave them an ETS spin, and he even had a hat to go with it and everything. And we were, we were dying laughing. But so his speech was charged with these verbal cues. He didn't have to explain. He didn't mention Trump's name. We just knew. That's what happens here. When the father says, this is my son whom I loved, with him I am well pleased. For the Jews at that time, they just knew 
what that meant. Because they read their Old Testament and this pointed back to Psalm 2 where we read the, God says, I've installed my king, inauguration, and, and this is the decree of the Lord. This is my son. Today I become your father. Not meaning the father and son's relationship was not established yet, but it's, it's an official status of the king, that he, he was the son of God in Israel. It points to Psalm 2. Boom, this is inauguration. It points to Isaiah 42 as well, where, where he speaks about, um, this is my servant whom I, in whom I'm well pleased. Again, an inauguration psalm, which uh, Jews of Jesus' time uh, are known to have identified as pointing to the Messiah. Furthermore, we see the Spirit coming down like a dove. Why does Matthew highlight this? Well, in Isaiah 61, we see the Messiah, the servant of the Lord, say, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. Anointing speaks of kingship and the Spirit of God sealing that kingship. Again, Matthew's painting the picture for you and me and for his audience. Jesus is becoming officially God's king here. And while there are no uh, earthly dignitaries, who did we see in the passage? Not only the Son of God becoming king, but who's there? The Spirit of God and God the Father himself. Could there be anyone more regal present at this occasion? And God's prophet, John the Baptist, baptizing Jesus. So this is Jesus becoming king. And we're going to see what kind of king is he. And I think the fact that it's in the wilderness, there's no human dignitaries around, points to something. This is a different sort of king. This is, this is almost scandalous. It's, it's kind of like, again, uh, a friend who on his, his 40th birthday, one of my, my fellow students, what he wanted for his birthday, get this, for his family to go off somewhere else and have a happy time, and he would stay home and have some peace and quiet so he could study for his 40th birthday. That was the whole, that was his big evil plan. And that's what they did. I thought he was weird. And I probably told him that, but, and, and in a way, that's what you have here. Like, this, this is Jesus, this is God's king that they've expected for all this time. This is it. This is kind of weird. Like, what kind of king is this? And I think he wants us to ask that question. Why is this happening? So privately almost, in some ways, people around, but nobody special in the desert. What is it? Well, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Because Jesus is not an ordinary king. And this is exactly what you and I need. We need a king like this. It's a scandal. And it gets even more scandalous when we see he's getting baptized. Why did, why did Jesus need to be baptized? Well, first of all, why did you need to be baptized? If you're a Christian and you've, you've publicly confessed your faith, you, you've been baptized to, to demonstrate that, to trust in what Jesus has done for you. You needed to be cleansed from your sin. I needed to be. And baptism is a sign that points to that cleansing that you and I need. We're stained and guilty and, and we need God's washing that Jesus has done for us. Baptism is a sign of that. And so people had been coming... Verse 6 in, in chapter 3, you'll see it says, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him, John, in the Jordan. People were coming to be baptized. I need a change of life. I need God to work in my heart. I want to be baptized. 
So there's tax collectors. Yeah, that, these guys were really sleazy people. Yeah, they need to be there. There's prostitutes. Yeah, they need Jesus to cleanse them, forgive them, change their lives. There's run-of-the-mill thieves. Yeah, they need to be there. There's some televangelist kind of people, Pharisees. Yeah, they need to be there. And then who else is in the lineup waiting to get baptized? Jesus. Jesus. What is he doing there? You know, as a child, there's some kids in the room. I wonder, kids, if you could say that you have, on every occasion, kids, that your parents told you to do something, you always did it. Without fail. Any grown-ups here, when you were a kid, that was you. Like, without, without question. Jesus is the only one who ever fully obeyed his parents. He's the only 30-year-old man who never entertained a lustful thought. He's a unique person. He's the sinless son of God. He has a righteousness that exceeds all of our categories for what makes someone good. Why is he getting in line to be baptized with all these sinners? Does he need to be cleansed of something? No, he doesn't. And so, look at verse 14. What happens? John, the Baptist, God's prophet, everybody recognizes he speaks for God. Well, he's trying to speak for God here, maybe. And he tries to deter Jesus, God's son. He says, no, you're not going to get baptized. Forget it. And Jesus answers him. It's kind of a, I find it kind of a mysterious answer. Verse 15. Let it be so now. And then he gives a reason. Look at the reason, because we're going to dig into this. It is proper for us to do this. Why? To fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. What does he mean? We could spend a long time on that, but could we just go to one passage that we read tonight? You could turn back to Isaiah 53 if you want, um, and verses 11 and 12, because Isaiah 53 is a great passage in the, the 7th or 8th century B.C. that describes in vivid, amazing detail what Jesus would do as, as our Savior. Look at verses 11 and 12 there, or listen where you are. It says, after he, the Messiah, Jesus, has suffered, pointing to the cross, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many. Let's just take those two last thoughts and look at them one at a time. So Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness. That's why he was baptized. What's he called in Isaiah 53:11? My righteous servant. So Jesus is God's righteous servant, this is what characterizes him. How does he live out that righteousness? It says he, he will justify many. Now, the word righteous here and the word justify, they're different in our English Bibles, but in, in the, the original, the, the very same root. They're almost identical words. By his, my righteous servant will make many righteous. He's going to come to sinners, you, me, all these people in the lineup, people in Airy who don't know Jesus yet, but who he's going to call, and he turns them into righteous people. He justifies them. 
He's fulfilling all righteousness. Do you get that? That's what he's doing. The righteous servant making people righteous. How does he do it? Well, Isaiah 53 talks about sin more than many chapters in the Bible. And repeatedly, what's going on with sin? In verse 11, it says he's bearing their iniquities, their sins. Verse 12, he poured out his life unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. Why is Jesus standing in that lineup with tax collectors and televangelists and you and me? Because he was numbered. He was counted. He was included as if he was a transgressor, a sinner, someone who broke God's law. Not because he did, but because he came to take our place. He came to take our place. And Jesus... He actually, throughout his ministry, when you read on, he's constantly getting in trouble with the religious people because they feel he's associating too often and too closely with sinners. And it starts here. He came not to put you and me in our place, but he came to take our place so we could join him alongside him as sons and daughters in his place. I have a question for you. If you're a Christian, you probably believe this in your head. But some of us, we still feel we need to be good enough for him to accept us. We say, yeah, I know that's how I got saved. But day to day, I feel like I've, I've got to make sure he loves me today by being good enough. Listen, the gospel is how you and I live out our Christian life from beginning to end. Every day, I need reminded. You probably need reminded. Jesus was numbered with transgressors so you could be numbered as a son of the Father's delight, as a daughter who the Father delights in. Why? Not because of what you have done, but what he did to stand in your place. I want to ask you have, have you, have you let Jesus' scandalous love pierce your heart? Jesus is being inaugurated as a king here, unlike any other king, a king who came to stand with sinners and take their place. And next, I want, to, I want to point out how this is a deeply personal moment for God, the Father, for God, the Son. When we look back in history, we, we think of, of times when sons have gone off to war and, and nations have sent their young men. World War I and World War II, the sacrifices this country made are staggering. And it's one thing to know that as, as a piece of data Boy, wouldn't it be another thing to be one of those dads, one of those moms, saying, goodbye, son, and sending him off. What's that like? I've, I've never really identified with a parent who lost a child until recently. I did, in, in a measure, when our, our youngest son, while we were on, a, on a, a hike in the hills, playing a bit of a game, we were scattered a little bit, and he went missing, and he's six. And we went back over the hill to look for him, and, and he wasn't where he should have been. And I spent the next agonizing hour searching for him and going up and down the, the stream, praying that he wasn't face down in the water. And it's over and over, I was saying, God, he's my son. He is my son. Please give my son back. And then how overjoyed I was when I, I, I saw my wife had found him. He walked home. 
And there he was away off on a hill and they were waving. And I just ran the whole way till I, till I had him in my arms again. But what, what a feeling to think I might have lost him. And when we read in Matthew 3.17, this is my son whom I love. It's not just an echo of Psalm 2, the inauguration, but it goes back further. Do you know what it goes back to? Genesis 22, where Abraham hears God say, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. It's, a, it's virtually identical language. And offer him as a sacrifice on the mountain. And God is doing this as a test of Abraham's heart. He's not actually going to ask him to do that. But what happens in Genesis 22 is Abraham obeys God and what agony he must feel as he, he trusts God with not only his beloved son, but the child in whom God's promises of blessing for the world have, have landed. In Genesis 22, they're, they're climbing the mountain. And just as he's about to obey God and sacrifice his son, the Lord calls to him, an angel of the Lord calls to him from a bush or from the heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And God says, here I, er, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. It's a picture of substitution. Instead of his son, the ram was sacrificed. Fast forward to the New Testament. In Matthew 20, 28, Jesus uses identical language to this, only now he's the substitute. And he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for, it's that word, instead of many. Jesus is that one. Instead of the ram standing in Isaac's place, God is giving his own son, his beloved son, in your place, in my place. The weight of our sin, the righteous fury of Almighty God would be hurled undiluted on Jesus at the cross. Our willing substitute and the Father's beloved Son. That is what we're hearing in these words of the Father. This is my beloved Son. The Father is remembering Isaac's experience which pointed forward to what Jesus would do for you to make you a beloved child of the Father. This is Jesus taking your place so you could stand in his place. Now, I can remember, for me a long time back, I don't know how far back this seems to you, but there was a wedding down in London, and it was a royal wedding. It was Charles and Diana. And I can still picture them standing up at St. Paul's Cathedral, waving to everybody, watching that on our little, must have been a black and white television, in Houston, British Columbia, back in Canada. And I thought, as a little boy, just living out in the sticks, I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool to be royal? Wouldn't it be cool to have those guys as my mom and dad? Then my life would be amazing. Well, whether that fantasy would have 
actually worked out that way or not is one thing. But think about this. As we see Jesus standing there in the water and the Father, who unlike all of us, the imperfect fathers, is, he is the, the epitome of being a good dad. And he speaks over his son words of pride and affirmation and blessing. Don't you just want to be there and be that person that this father would speak those words over? Jesus alone has this unique relationship to the Father as part of the Trinity, eternally entwined. One God in three persons. And yet, why is Jesus doing this? What has the Father sent him for? He's come to bring many sons and daughters to the Father. People who don't deserve it, who aren't worthy, who could never get there on our own, to be adopted, to be born again, to be joined to the very Spirit of God's own Son, it says in Galatians chapter 4. So we can cry out in the Spirit of Jesus, Abba, Father. Jesus is our elder brother. And even as Jesus is called beloved, look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. You are called beloved children as well. That we've done nothing like what the Son did. In fact, we've, we've gone our own way. We've either been brazen sinners or proudly religious. But by faith, we've been joined to Christ. He stood in our place and we get to stand in His place, clothed in His righteousness. And the Father delights in you. He delights in you. And it's not because you can say, well, today I've performed well, this week I've done well. No, it's because His Son performed well. And he, he gave his perfect record to you when he died and when he rose. He took your place so you could stand with him in his place. John 1 tells us it's a salvation promise, but it's a reminder of our adoption to all who received him, to those who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, a lot of us will say, I know this is true, but... I feel unworthy. God couldn't be happy with me. And you could list some reasons. There must be some, you know, there's still so much wrong in my life. I'll be honest with you. I go there. There's, there's voices I battle. And, I, and then God brings me back to the gospel and reminds me it's not about me being worthy. It's not about you being worthy. It's not about me making God happy with me. It's not about me being able to fix everything wrong in my life so I can, I can think I'm presentable. The good news is so much better than that, that Jesus identified with all of my sin so I could be identified alongside him as a son of the Father, so you could be a daughter, a son of the Father, clothed in his righteousness alone. There's a great old hymn has these words, they're a bit archaic, but they're rich. Can I, I, I share them with you? I, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. It means there's nothing, there's no one who I might think is good enough that I'm leaning on, and certainly not myself. Who do I lean on and him only? Jesus. He is my righteousness. I'm not going to look to myself, but to him. He took my place and only because of that, 
And always, every day and every moment, because of that, you get to stand in his place, in the presence of the Father, and call him your daddy. And know that he smiles on you because he smiles on Jesus. He loves you, he delights in you because he delights in Jesus. Isn't that what makes you love him? Isn't that what makes you just want to say, Lord, here's my life, take it, have it, use it. You're amazing. I want to encourage you today as you go into this week, above all, believe and re-believe every day who Jesus is, what he's done for you, taking your place so you could stand with him in his place and love him back for all that he's loved you. And as you taste his love, do what he did, live a life of mission. Are you living close enough to sinners that people might accuse you of the scandal that Jesus was accused of? Are they able to taste God's love because they see it in you? I hope they do in me. I hope they do in you. Our king took our place so we could join him in his. As we close tonight, can we worship and love him for what he's done? Let's just pray and then we'll close in song. Father, thank you. We serve a great savior. We thank you that on the day you became king, you did it out in the wilderness, surrounded by sinners. But the Father spoke his cosmic and personal blessing over you. And you, you stood in that place so that you could go to die for us, so that you could bring us into the delight of the Father. And I pray that tonight, Lord, you would fortify each child of God here with the knowledge that who we are is not what we made of ourselves, but what Jesus has done for us and is making us to be. That we would stand in that, rest in that, love you from that, and learn to live from that and to bring others to you as well, as you have done for us. In Jesus' glorious name we pray with thanks, and all the praise be to you. Amen.